0: Now that you all are uh, comfortably set, set down, if you wouldn't mind standing for the uh, word. <clears throat> Today we're going to be in Luke 9:18 um, through 48, or 25, excuse me. Luke 9:25, there it is. Um, and it goes: And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he fell upon robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was walking down the road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So, likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. When he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus replied to him, you go and do likewise. Now, when they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, 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 you are anxious and troubled about many things. But, the one, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken from her. This is the inerrant, inspired word of the Lord. Please receive it as such. Bow your heads with me. Father God, thank you. Thank you for this day, God, that we can come into your, into your presence, Father, and hear your word spoken. Father, I pray with our arms outstretched, that you would feed us, Father, that your words will hit home. God, anything that's not from you, let it just fall by the way. Father, we love you. Thank you for Jesus in your heavenly son's name. Amen. You may be seated. So what, what is love? Um, it's a great question, is it not? Um, I won't sing for you even though that was the first thought I had when I, I asked that question to myself. What is love? Songs have been sung about it. Books have been written about it. Uh, poems have been pontificated about it. Every heart-struck college kid has written some sort of something to a girl that he was fond about. Uh, but we, uh, we, We've we been always trying to answer that question from the beginning. Um, and. There's so many different ways that people try to to explain what love is. We have our culture who's trying to tell us that love is toleration and that somehow those two are the same. We have we have people who study the mind saying that love is to love oneself more than anything else. We have we have the Bible telling us what love is. We have all these different things, all these different people trying to tell us what love is. But what is love? And Jesus today invites us to a different type of love. Um, And that's because he is a different type of, he's inviting us into a different type of kingdom, a radical kingdom. Um, And it's radically different than the culture that we live in. Um, It promotes a type of love based on grace and loving because of how God loves. And our passage today. It, it circles around Luke's telling of the greatest commandment. And it shows us how to love. And that's, that's what I'm hoping we're able to get from the passage today. Is that the the kingdom of God calls for obedience to these radical commands. Of how we're supposed to love. And who we're supposed to love. And we will be known by how we love. So let us look at this first radical aspect of love, and that's a radical rule. Um, And our passage today starts with a lawyer putting Jesus to the test. And he asks a question. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? And this question's loaded. We know it's loaded because the lawyers and the Pharisees were always trying to trap Jesus in a gotcha moment. But this is also a question that each of us desire to have. There's so many stories written about eternal life, living forever. And in each of our hearts, we have a desire for that. Our, every day we grow older. Every day we wake up, our bodies hurt in a new way. Our bodies are decaying every day and even this world that we're living in is slowly decaying. And our our hearts have this desire for an eternal life. And it's a good desire. It's, it's a desire that stum- stems from us wanting to live forever with our creator in a world that does not decay. But Jesus doesn't give him a a list of here's the seventy two acts that you need to do every day. You need to eat right, you need to exercise, you need to do X, Y, and Z. Jesus as a good teacher asks him a question. Well, what's written in law? How do you read it? And the then we're given the great commandment. It's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul and all your strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. And it's, it's beautiful because that's one commandment. It's not the great commandments. It's the great commandment. Those are meant to go together. First, we have to love the Lord with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, all our strength before we can love somebody else. And it's, it's easy for us to be able to say the right words, especially coming to church and Sunday school and all those things where the answer is usually Jesus. But it's harder to live out the great commandment, to, to actually love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And, it, and then we need to love our neighbor as ourself um, which it's not an afterthought. It's, it's how we, we show that we're part of this radical kingdom. Um, it's, it's, it's showing grace to people when it's not deserved. And the only way we can have that grace to show to others is by getting it ourselves. Romans 5.10 reminds us that while we were enemies of God, we were reconciled to him by the death of Jesus we were forgiven so much, so we should forgive others. Um, and it's, it's beautiful because all our relationships are vertical or horizontal. And if we don't have the vertical one correct, the horizontal one will not work. The vertical one, of course, is our relationship with Jesus, our relationship with God. And if that one's off, then we can't love our neighbor as ourselves. We can't love our neighbor if we don't first love God. And we can only love God because he loved us first. And God's forgiven us such a debt. It's a debt that we can't pay. And he's given us grace. He's forgiven us that sin. And because of that, we can forgive others. Um, I, I don't think we've... I'll speak for myself at least. Um, I've never created someone out of nothing and then um, gave them life and all that and then have them turn around and spit in my face and tell me that they can rule their life better than me. It's never happened to me. Maybe you, but never me. Um, But that's what we did to God. God created us in his image and we turned around and said, no, I can do it myself. Thank you though. Like I'm a better God than you are. And while we were still enemies, while we could do nothing but sin against God, he still loved us enough to give us Jesus to die for our sins and right that. So out of that, that grace that God's given us, we should forgive others. And just because I like to point out things, because I have hobby horses, um, our, our culture loves to take that last half of the great commandment to love our neighbor as ourself and manipulate it and make it almost a, you have to love yourself before you can love others. And that doesn't work very well. Because if we're loving ourselves, we're only thinking about ourselves. And if we're only thinking about ourselves, how can we think about our neighbor? Now, it can also go to the other extreme of you have to hate yourself to love your neighbor. And that's just as foolish. Because if you hate yourself, you're still only thinking about yourself. You're not thinking about your neighbor. Rather, what God, what God commands of us is more of a don't think highly of ourselves. Trust in God. Don't become self-focused. But, but God is good. He cares for each of his children. In Matthew, Matthew 6, Jesus talks about how the how God dresses the flowers of the field in such beautiful colors that that not even Solomon would have seen, and they're gone are here one day and gone the next, and how the birds of the field, who are worthless, God still feeds them, and how much more does He care about us as children? So we don't need to worry about ourselves. We can just focus on loving others because we don't need to worry about loving ourselves. We do that naturally. That's pride. That's that's the first sin. (laughs) Um, But we need to think what's best about others. And we can only do that by loving the Lord with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. So how can we do this? How can we live self-sacrificially, And more importantly, who is this neighbor that we're supposed to take care of? Which leads to our second point. A radical neighbor. So Jesus tells this parable. And we've all heard it a dozen times at least. And it's one of the best well-known parables in scripture. We even still have terms based off of this scripture. The Good Samaritan. Someone who's being a Good Samaritan. Who's helping someone that they don't know. But this this story is just it's it's so beautiful that no matter how many times I come back to it, it's 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 awesome. <laughs> um, so this this story starts with a Jew, um, and if you look in 29 with me, it's a man going from Jerusalem to Jericho. So he's probably leaving Jericho or Jerusalem, excuse me, going home after sacrificing to the temple. And giving his, his offerings and stuff. So, and he's also traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. From one Jewish town to another Jewish town. So, this guy is a good Jew. He's a good person as far as the lawyer that Jesus is talking to would be concerned. He's offering at the temple. And he's traveling from one Jewish town to another. He's not making himself unclean in any way. So he's a good guy. Um, And he falls into some trouble, you could say. Uh, He gets robbed, stripped of his clothes, and beaten half to death. So a little bit of trouble, wouldn't you say? Um, And by chance, a priest walks by. Good. This is a priest. He'd be able to see that this guy is a Jew and he would feel compassion for his brother and help him, right? No. He walks on the opposite side of the road. He sees this man that's hurting, hurting, and broken and jumps to the other side of the road to walk past. And there's, I've heard different arguments for the priest that, you know, maybe he didn't want to become unclean because if he became unclean, then he'd have to go through the, the cleansing rituals before he'd be able to offer sacrifices or anything again for the, for the people. Or maybe he didn't recognize this guy was a Jew. Um, that one's a lot harder to believe because even being up and broken, he'd still probably have the, the tassels. He'd probably have the remnants of the Shema. Shema on his forehead. But either way, neither one of those aren't really good, either one of those aren't really good reasons for him not to help. And then, but this guy's hope isn't lost yet because a levite walks by. Good. Levites don't have as many cleansing rituals to be able to become clean enough to offer sacrifices because they don't offer sacrifices. And They were chosen by God to be his special tribe. So, maybe this guy will help. No. He also walks on the opposite side of the road. And what makes it even worse that both of these Jews didn't help their fellow Jew is in Deuteronomy 15.11, Moses writes for there will never cease to be poor people in the land. This is why I'm commanding you, open your hands willingly to your poor and needy brother in your land. They would know this passage. They would know what's commanded of them to help their neighbor. And yet they don't. They don't even try to help them. They make as much effort as possible to go around them to stay as far away as possible from this broke man. And now, now the, the lawyer, after hearing the first two, and probably being a little taken aback by it, he'd expect the Jesus, not the Jesus, Jesus to, to next have a, a Jew, just a normal everyday Jew walk by, and then the Jew be the good guy, the hero that saves the man. But it's not. It's a Samaritan. And Samaritans, like this, In we don't sometimes recognize how otherworldly this would be to a Jew. Because Samaritans and Jews did not like each other at all. Like on a most base level principle, a Jew and a Samaritan stay as far away as possible from each other because Jews viewed Samaritans as dirty, as unclean because they were the, the Jews that were left in the exile in Israel and they mixed with the, the pagans in the land and they were considered mixed blood and gross and not what you'd want to be. And then the Samaritans believed that Mount Sinai was a holy, the holy place of holies, where you should be sacrificing. Yet, the Jews thought Jerusalem was. And this even caused headbutts. So, for a Samaritan to be helping a Jew, whoa, (laughs) That's, that's absurd. But, the Samaritan helps this person in need, this Jew that's in need, and not only helps him, because... The Samaritan could have helped pick up the guy and point him toward Jericho and go, okay, go to your people. And th- that would have been helping him. But he doesn't stop there. He gets off. He sees this man in need. He gets off of his, his animal pursuit, probably his donkey, and uses oil that he was probably carrying for himself in case he gets hurt, and wine for himself in case he got hurt. And he uses that for this man who's in need. And he could have stopped there, and we all would have gone, man, that's a nice guy. But he doesn't stop there. Then he takes this man who's broken, puts him on top of the donkey. So the Samaritan had to walk the rest of the way to this town that he took him to. Which, if he stopped there, we would have gone, yeah, what a great, like, this is a good guy. But he doesn't stop there. He then takes this guy to an inn, pays for this guy to stay there, and stays with him for a a little bit longer for the rest of the night to tend to him, to make sure he lived through the night. And if we stopped there, we would go, man, this guy was this man's neighbor. That's cool. But he doesn't. Then he gives the innkeeper two denarii which is a lot of money to make sure this guy is able to stay at the inn to heal and then offers to pay the innkeeper more if it ends up taking more money. This is a radical view of who your neighbor is. The the Samaritan went above and beyond what he should have done and not only that but it was for an enemy. It wasn't for someone that we'd consider a friend or by any worldly mean a neighbor. It was for this man's enemy. And it's, it's absurd. It's radical. It's radical to view people that way. Now, what kind of passerby are you? What kind of passerby am I what, how that 's something we should really think about we, we have broken people all around us in this room, in our community and even just in different parts of the town. We have broken people that could use a radical neighbor and the parable seeks to answer a question: who is my neighbor and is that the people who look like me, who act like me, who believe the same things as me? Or does it include the guy on 81 who turns right onto the highway right in front of you without looking? Um, does it include the, the, the person who's walking their dog who lets the dog take a mess in your front yard? Um, does, it, does, it, or does it even involve the family member that you have that you had a falling out with? Um, Who is your neighbor? And who are you able to just blow off and don't have to care for? As far as Jesus is concerned, everyone is your neighbor. Um, And that's because Jesus didn't save you or me because we were good enough to save. Romans 5.10 again. While we were enemies of God, Christ died for us. Christ didn't have to save us. We were his enemy. We were as far away as possible from what a neighbor would be. Yet he saved us. He picked us up. He took care of our wounds. And he carried us to the Father. If God forgave us such a great debt, how can we not love our neighbor? How can we not forgive the smaller debts that they may have against us, or that we may have against them, excuse me. The way of the world is to trust nobody, to use anyone to get everything we can out of everyone. The radical way of the kingdom is to love your neighbor as yourself, to sacrifice what you have for another, and not the person that you want to do it for, but for the person That's your enemy. And we show our citizenship to the king by by doing this, by loving our neighbor. Um, But before we can love others, because remember, we have to have that vertical relationship before we can have the horizontal, we have to love God with all our heart, all our soul, and all our mind, and all our strength, which leads us to our final point, which is a radical love. And the last part of our text today usually isn't added into the the part before it, the, the Good Samaritan. Um, I, and I only had one commentary that I looked through this week that had it as part of it. The rest of them didn't. And it's, it's so interesting because th- this portion also centers around a question. Just like the last two. Almost like Jesus and Luke, when he was writing this, had in mind that it was all part of the same thing, and let's dive. Let's dive in. It starts in thirty-eight. Jesus enters a town, and a woman named Martha welcomes him into her home, and Martha has a sister, and the sister was just sitting at Jesus' feet listening to him, which that in and of itself is a radical thought because in this, at this, in, in, um, in Rome, um, men and women didn't congregate together. There was a woman area and a male area. And Mary, wanting to learn from Jesus said, forget that noise, and sat down at the teacher's feet. So she sits down to listen to what Jesus is saying. Martha is serving. And not just that, but she's distracted by her serving. And Martha is getting a little upset at this point. Um, So she asks Jesus a question. But before we get to that question, I want to, I want to compare and contrast Martha and Mary for a second because it's really interesting. Because Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet and Martha's focused on serving. Mary, Mary is listening to Jesus' teaching, but Martha is distracted by her de- good deeds. Jesus will bless Mary's actions, but he'll put a warning against Martha's. And the Lord answers Martha by saying, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will, be not, will not be taken away from her. And I've, I've heard sermons about, about this story. That's, you know, we need to serve, but you need to be careful serving. And that almost sounds like a contradiction to the Good Samaritan, doesn't it? To, you know, don't serve people. Like, be careful. And we know that the Bible is, it's without error. And it's inspired by God. So I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. I don't think he's warning that, hey, don't focus so much on serving. Focus on listening. Because Jesus doesn't tell Martha that she's doing something wrong. He warns her. He says that you are anxious and troubled about many things. Now, <laughs> we, how often are we focused on what we're doing at the moment? How often do we, do we not think about the Lord who created us, uh, but focus on the little minutia of the little parts of our lives? Like Peter, when he was walking on the water, as long as he kept his eyes on the Lord he was able to walk on the water. But as soon as he took his eyes off of the Lord, started looking around him at the storm, feeling the waves under his feet, he started sinking. Once we take our eyes off the Lord, we begin to sink. We fear. We attempt to control things on our own. And because we're not God and we're not in control of anything, we fail. We start getting anxious. We start getting nervous. We start trying to control things even more. And I, I want to go over to Philippians 4, 6 through 7 real fast. Um, I'll read it for you so you don't have to turn if you don't want to. But Paul writes, Be anxious for nothing, but in all through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And let the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ. Focusing on Jesus has a promise. And if we focus on him, it's a good promise. And if we focus on other things, we become anxious. And part of that's, we focus on what we love. I focus on Hannah, my kiddos, because I love them, and especially when Cato comes running at me as soon as I walk in the door at, at, at nighttime, he 's going, "Daddy, daddy, daddy, daddy." I go, "Yes, baby. Like I have, I have to mow. I have to do all these other things, so I 'm going to focus on you and hear your story about how something happened that probably didn't actually happen. He 's just telling me a story, but I love him. and we we give attention to things that we care about and the most the thing we should pay the most attention to is our creator the person who created us who cared so much about us that he died for us he sacrificed himself as a perfect offering and focusing on god or on jesus has a promise and a beautiful promise To to the last, in verse 42, Jesus says, Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken from her. When you focus on the Lord, when you love the Lord, when you've gained salvation, when you've called upon God as your, Jesus as your savior and your king, he's not going to let go of you. That's that should give us hope. <laughs> that no matter what's, what's going on in our lives, he, ain't, he is not letting go of us. And all of us in this room can attest that the Christian life is not an easy one. Um, anyone who's been a Christian longer than a minute can attest to that. This world is against Christianity. And even our, our hearts, which Jeremiah tells us is the root of all wickedness, is against us, is against Christianity. It's against God. And Jesus is telling us that our salvation, our, his hold on us will not be taken away from us. It will not be let go of us. And sometimes we pray, and it feels like it hits the ceiling. It feels like nothing we do will ever be good enough for God. Nothing we say comes out right. Nothing we we do feels like it's it's good enough. But that's focusing on what we do. That's trying to put tr- control our lives when. We just need to to focus on the promise that Jesus will not let go of us and He will work all things together for our good and for his glory. And man, that's that's where I wanted to, to land today is that we have this promise that this good portion will not be taken away from us. That's awesome. Like, that is, that is good news. Uh, <laughs> so, in conclusion, today, we've, we've looked at the radicalness of the command of the kingdom. That we have a radical commandment, a radical neighbor, and a radical love. And we're called to love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our mind, all our soul, and all our strength. And to love our neighbor as ourselves. So, as I, as I finish up today, I want to leave us with a question to ponder. How are you doing? Are you loving the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength? Are you loving your neighbor as yourself? Are you holding grudges against someone else? Are you feeling bitterness toward God? How are you doing today? Let me pray for us. Father God, thank you. Thank you for your word. Father, um, set our, our focuses on the things above. God, um, by grace, we're saved. And Lord, you, it was a gift we were not deserved, Father. And as we, we go out this week, Father, um, convict us. Show us where we're not showing the same grace to those around us, Father, and then don't just convict us and make us feel horrible, Father, but, but give us your, your mercy, Father. Let us know how, how much you love us. God, in your heavenly son's name, amen. And thank God that he, we worship a father that is forever. Um, today's benediction is First Corinthians 15, 58. It goes, therefore my brethren, beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. I love you all. Go in peace.